turn in your Bible to Daniel. We'll start in chapter 1. So, uh, when Alan approached me and others about teaching this summer and what the topic was going to be, I was thrilled. I thought it was a fantastic idea to take these Bible stories that we have known since we were toddlers and take a fresh look at them and see, is there anything that we can still get out of these stories? Uh, And so uh, you're stuck with me for the next three weeks, and then Alan will come back for, for, you know, a fireworks finish at the end of the quarter. Um, This week we're going to be looking at, at Daniel. Uh, you guys have uh, had to endure me before, and so uh, you know that one of the things that I really like to do uh, when I teach class is for us to step into the story and try to imagine what it would be like if we were one of the characters in the story, or perhaps multiple of the, the characters in the story. Um, we're really talking about Daniel and the lion's den tonight, but uh, we need to start at the beginning. Um, so, I'm sorry, did I say Daniel 1? Turn to Genesis 1. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, let's set the context for uh, what we're going to be talking about. So, the Israelites have been conquered by the Babylonians. God has punished them for their continued sin and uh, their refusal to uh, follow his uh, commands, to, to do what he's asked them to do, uh, and to, uh, to stop willfully following uh, other gods. And so uh, in an effort to try to get their attention, he has the Babylonians come in and conquer them, and not just conquer them, but they are going to be carried off uh, to Babylon away from their homes. And I I find that very interesting because, um, you know, who does that? Who comes in and conquers you and then uh, takes everybody out to, you know, build up the population in their land and leave the other one vacant? I don't know. Um, So I find that uh, extremely interesting, but that part is mostly irrelevant. Um, So... King Nebuchadnezzar is the the victor in all of this, and he orders his staff to go out and select men from among the people, ostensibly from the entire population, and he's uh, he's looking for men from noble families who are strong, look good, smart, culturally literate, and wise. Now, what does this sound like to you? Sounds like fairy tale princes to me. Now, the amazing thing is that they find multiple of these fairy tale princes. And four of them happen to be Israelites. In fact, they're all from the tribe of Judah. There's Daniel, and there's uh, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, otherwise known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, So... Let's talk about what this must have been like for these guys. So these are, these are people from noble families. So these guys back in Israel had it made. But uh, we're tempted to think that, uh, you know, these guys have it made here. But let's keep in mind 
their country was sacked, they've lost their homes, they've lost everything, they were forcibly removed to uh, another country, uh, and now they're working in the king's palace. So, uh, and you might think, well, you know, they're working in the king's palace, they, they've got it made. Um, and that might be true, but, uh, you know, they're, uh, they may have still had a status of sorts, but uh, keep in mind that even in these positions, this was not a low-threat environment. Um, and what kind of uh, clues do we have in this first chapter that this might not have been uh, you know, just the best gig ever. Uh, you find very quickly that uh, that they are running afoul of the food laws. Of the, oh. of the uh, you know, they they had just been removed from Judah because they were not obeying God's law, and. Here they are thrust into the middle of Babylon, and uh, they, the Babylonians do not have, do not follow the food laws, and so they're immediately in a dilemma. Right, and so, you know, here we are, we're, we're, we're taken away, we're told we're going to be in the king's palace, and now we want to create some waves. So, don't know how that's going to go. What other clues do we have? They changed their names. Okay, changed their names. <clears throat> Anything else? So, were you they're living in the palace. I mean, they're no longer surrounded by their fellow countrymen. Okay, that's good. So, they really don't have the fellowship anymore of their uh, fellow Israelites. So, in a sense, they are even more separated from their homeland than the rest of their, uh, their fellow Israelites. That's good. Um, well, you kind of get the, the idea that the chief of staff was kind of afraid of the king. Yeah. Um, you get the, the expectation or the idea that uh, there was little tolerance for... Uh, deviation. Because what happens when uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, um, we want to eat different food? What happens? They got pushed back, and so Daniel made a deal with the chief of staff that, you know, test us, let us eat only vegetables and water, and everybody else can have the king's food. And then at the end of a set time, then test us to see. Exactly. Chief Staff goes, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, because what happens if I were to let you eat different food and then, you know, you're no longer strong and healthy, I'm the one that's going to get in trouble. So we get the, we start to get the idea that this was not a low threat environment. Um, but Daniel and the other three committed themselves to obeying God. And it says in verse 8, 
that Daniel was determined not to defile himself on the king's food and wine. Now, the Bible doesn't elaborate, but as Ted mentioned just a second ago, you kind of get the idea that the reason that they didn't want to eat the king's food was probably because they were eating foods that God had deemed unclean, you know, like pork or something along those lines. Um, now, interestingly, though, the chief of staff liked Daniel, and I think that's important. Uh, I know it says that God gave the chief of staff respect uh, for, and affection for Daniel, but God didn't do that for Samson, and goodness knows Samson needed it more than Daniel did. Um, so I think it's important, an important point that Daniel was likable, and I, I'm going to make that point again here in just a minute. Uh, but first of all, why was that important that the chief of staff liked because God could work through Daniel to do wonderful things because of that relationship that started. Right. Anybody else? I don't know if the answer I'm getting is the question you're asking, but... Um, Tell her what question I'm asking. <laughs> what, what, what impresses me is, is Daniel's respect despite the fact that he was going to do something. He wasn't rebellious and defiant. And he, he spoke in respect to titles and terms and made requests. He, he secured himself with integrity, not with a rebellious heart. And you, you know, he's been stripped from his homeland. They're trying to now strip him from his culture. But he seemed to somehow maintain a sense of respect and integrity. I mean, this reminds me of the character of Jesus that Peter calls upon in his chapter 2, where he says, he was mistreated, but he showed respect and humbleness in his heart and entrusted himself to God. I see that I see that in Daniel, and somebody over authority is, is mistreated, not how to behave properly, so as that God can work through you. That, that's actually one of the points that I, I did want to talk about tonight. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more here momentarily. Don? Well, there's a, there's a suggestion here similar to that of Joseph. I saw it too. Joseph was in prison. He found favor with the cupbearer. So he, God took advantage of that. Yeah, so let's go back to the Let's go back to Joseph's story and the idea of a low threat, high threat environment. I mean, clearly in that story, it was not a low threat environment because the king became angry with his cupbearer and his baker and threw them in jail. Uh, and I think it was probably a very similar relationship with uh, the king's chief of staff here. Uh, in Daniel, you know, the king's win the king could do something on a whim, uh, and then you find yourself in very hot water. Um, but also, just like in Joseph's story, uh, Joseph was very likable, and God used uh, God used that.
to put Joseph in a place where he could do an amazing amount of good. And so I think when we uh, we talk about uh, why is that important that uh, Daniel was likable, it's because uh, God saw that and that he could use that for his glory in a really big way. Um, so then let me flip that back around on us. Is it important for us to be likable? Well, we're told in the Corinthian letter that we're ambassadors for Christ. Okay. So that's who we represent. All right. I'll buy that. And if we're not likable, people aren't going to, we're not going to be able to lead anybody to Christ. Because they're going to, oh, we'll be like that. You know. But not everybody like Christ either. Yeah, yeah being likable doesn't necessarily mean you won't be hated. <laughs> well, talk about that in this story too, won't we? But, you know, think about um, the quintessential grumpy old man. Uh, you know, and they... Uh, you know what, I tell people what I think, and if they don't want to hear it, then that's just too bad. And how does that go over? Not very well at all. I mean, but, you know, people like to be around likable people. Um, so what makes us likable? We can't be judgmental, and then we need to be kind. I like that. We don't want to tell people what you're doing is wrong. I mean, Catch all is Christ-like. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, you just said not judgmental. Daniel didn't say judge them for what they ate. He just said he wasn't going to. Okay. Others? Being positive. Being positive, I really like that. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, probably one of the people in my life that has made the biggest impression on me uh, is Christy's dad. Um, we uh, we frequently describe him as come on Zig Ziglar on Prozac. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, Christy and I. Uh, have known each other since high school and uh, and he has always been like that and uh, you know he he taught me from the time I've known him that you know you can decide you know whether you want to be uh, a positive person or not and I guarantee you that the more positive you are and the more able you are to see the uh, the bright side in, in things or the good side in people uh, the happier you are going to be and that has made an amazing difference in my life because I, I wasn't always like that. Uh, all right, Steve, you had a comment? Being concerned for others, in other words, not being self-centered. For example, I think one thing, you know, he showed concern for that man and mm -hmm. his well-being. I think that's a great point because uh, Daniel was concerned for the, the chief of staff. He's basically, he said, look, I'm not trying to get you in trouble. How about this, you know? gave him a way out. 
<clears throat> he did. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Um, all right. So, and with this first issue, with what they were going to eat, they were able to persuade the king's chief of staff through wisdom and diplomacy to uh, to let them uh, eat what they wanted to eat and still rely on, on God and obey God's commands. Um, so not only did the chief of staff like Daniel, but King Nebuchadnezzar also liked Daniel. Uh, said he found him wise. Uh, and everyone appreciates a, a wise counselor. Uh, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate and indeed even crave uh, the wisdom that I get from this beautiful lady sitting right over here. Um, if I ever say anything that sounds even remotely smart, I guarantee it's because she told me to say it. <laughs> um, the, uh, and so I also appreciate the, the wisdom that I get from my fellow shepherds and from Eddie and Matt. You know, uh, I learn from those guys. Uh, we sit in those, those meetings and we talk about some tough stuff and uh, very, very infrequently do I feel like I have a good answer for something, uh, but one of those other guys at the table does. Uh, and so I, I take it in and hope that, you know, as I continue to grow, that I will, you know, I will continue to grow wiser and wiser. Um, so what makes a wise counselor? I told Daniel was wise. What makes a wise counselor? I think in this case, God gave all four of them this ability to be wise and understanding. So much so that the king said, they're ten times as smart as anybody in the, in the kingdom. I'll buy that. I believe God gave them wisdom. Mm -hmm. Their flexibility to go into such a situation and to be able to function to be able to, you know, to be, to, they, they couldn't go in there preaching. <laughs> they, they, so they were they, able to read a situation and be diplomatic. And see, show concern for the others, even the king. Okay. Any others? I want to go back to what Eddie said a minute ago, uh, because that was one of the things that occurred to me as well is keep this in mind. Daniel came from Israel. His country was conquered. He was pulled away out of his home, brought to a foreign land. And then he's told you're going to be in the king's service. I'm pretty sure that he didn't vote for King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> And in fact, you know, the, there's probably a pretty good chance that if uh, a king comes in and conquers your country, you probably have little good to say about him. But Daniel was incredibly respectful. Um, he, he would tell the truth, but he would tell the truth in such a way that... Uh, recognized the king is in authority and probably uh, even recognized that God put King Nebuchadnezzar in that position. 
I mean, by this time, God has uh, foretold that this would happen. Uh, And so even no matter what Daniel thought, whether he liked King Nebuchadnezzar or not, uh, he was extremely respectful in that position. Uh, And I think, you know, when when you're talking about uh, a wise counselor, it's somebody who uh, respects you for who you are. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, the person that you rely on as your counselor, that you're, you're better than them or you, that you're an authority over them. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I guarantee you, one of the things that, that makes you feel like uh, I really trust this person is because of the way that they treat you. Uh, and so I think that's an important point uh, as to how that relationship with King Nebuchadnezzar worked. Um, and Jimmy, go ahead. Uh, Paul in, in the Philippian letter, uh, I think, has a very good message for us. Just make the most of every situation you find yourself in. Yep. And that's exactly what we saw with Joseph. It's exactly what we're going to see with with Daniel. And that's really the same uh, that we see in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, What I find interesting, though, is um, not only did Nebuchadnezzar think that Daniel was wise and value his, uh, his counsel, but look at the ride that... Uh, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar went on. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And, you know, even beside the fact that, you know, he goes on this little tirade of, okay, you need to tell me what my dream is before I'll believe that you're telling me the right thing. Um, Daniel does that. But then when he interprets the dream and tells him, Look, you are a powerful king, but your kingdom is not going to last forever. In fact, it's going to be destroyed while you're in power. Um, And uh, amazingly, what happens? It did happen. Yeah, but what happened after Daniel interpreted that dream? He believed him. Yeah, he he didn't throw him in jail or kill him. Throw him out of the palace. He, he gave him a promotion. Yeah, King, uh, you're gonna lose your uh, country. I know you just came in and conquered us, and uh, trust me, I have great respect for you. You know, may you live forever. And uh, but uh, your kingdom is gonna fall before you even come out of office. Great, you're promoted. I mean, what is this? That's uh. I think that says a tremendous amount about uh, the wisdom and the relationship that Daniel was able to build with Nebuchadnezzar. Later on, Daniel comes back and says, uh, hey, oh, by the way, king, uh, your second dream means that you're going to go live like an animal until uh, you can be ready to say that God is God. And uh, 
And lo and behold, it happens. Lo and behold, Nebuchadnezzar uh, doesn't put him out of the palace or kill him then either. In fact, Daniel goes through four kings, and depending on how you count, about uh, two and a half, uh, about two and a half empires. That's incredible. So not only does Babylon fall, but the Medes and the Persians come afterward, and Daniel is left in those kings' service. I mean, that doesn't even happen in our own country. You know, when uh, one party's president goes out and the next party's president comes in, the entire cabinet's gone. But Daniel managed to stay in the king's service and was a respected, wise counselor. And so I find that uh, incredibly humbling and instructive about uh, what God expects from us in how we uh, in how we deal with people and how we interact with them. But that only occurred by the love and the power of God. He had a plan, and God was going to see this through. I'll buy that. But God also used Samson, <clears throat> and Samson was not the same character. But he, had a, he was part of God's plan. Um, I think Daniel was predisposed uh, to that personality, and God capitalized on it. Do I think, do I think that it was all Daniel? Absolutely not. Uh, do I think that, that God used Daniel's innate personality uh, and you know maybe put his fingers here and there to make things happen? Yes, I do. Uh, but I, I think you know, I think Daniel's personality was Daniel's personality, and God capitalized on it. Alan, I think that we what we see in Daniel is, is a faith so great that he he can recognize that even though his situation is not the best, that God is in control, and that whatever um, that God appoints kings and puts them in the places that He wants them to be, and so so you see him really living that out in a uh, very uh, real way that, that, that his faith is so strong in God and what his power is that he's able to put up with a lot of hardships and all just because he and, and I think that the respect that he, he shows Nebuchadnezzar is, is genuine uh, as it can be because he, he recognizes that Nebuchadnezzar is God's tool uh, to do something whatever that might be. And then he also recognizes his own role in that as, as one who God gave the ability to interpret the dream. And when you look at Nebuchadnezzar, you got to think, well, there's probably not a whole lot of people in your kingdom that can tell you what your dream was and then what it means. And so you got to think that's part of the reason he's keeping him around as well. True. Fair point. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Daniel is one of the really the, the biggest heroes in the faith because, you know, it's, it's kind of like Joseph in a way. There's, there's really, a, there, there's a lot of parallels in these two stories, but, you know, Joseph and Daniel, you really don't get a sense too much that uh, there were really any flaws in their character. I mean, you can kind of read between the lines a little bit on, on Joseph, uh, maybe, you know, going back to his childhood, 
Um, but, uh, but with Daniel, you really don't see any flaws in his character. And uh, in some ways, that is incredibly, uh, incredibly inspiring. You know, that uh, look what Daniel was able to do because of his faith in God. Uh, in, in other ways, you think, man, I, you know, Daniel's not anything like me. Uh, you know, so um, there's that too. Uh, okay, so let's turn to Daniel chapter 6 and let's get into the actual story for tonight. <coughs> Context takes up uh, 40 minutes of class. All right, so let's, uh, I just want to read this story uh, because uh, you guys also know that. I like reading through scripture and hearing what it has to say in context uh, versus just a few verses here and there. So let's read the entire story. Uh, by now, Nebuchadnezzar's gone. Uh, we've got the Medes in charge, and, and Darius is the, the king. So Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful always responsible and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give anyone divine or human, except to you, your majesty, uh, let's see, give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room, with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this, out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, 
May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles, so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, Long live the king! My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their <coughs> wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. All right. So what can we learn from this story? What did you hear in there that struck you? Whatever the situation. Now what we say that a lot, Betty. God will take care of us no matter what the situation. But I mean, what does that really mean? Because that, I'm, that he'll either take us home or he will keep us here and be keep us alive. You got it. Um you know, I I don't know whether Daniel, I, I, I believe with all my heart that Daniel thought that God would take care of him. Uh, but I don't know whether Daniel thought that meant he was going to be thrown into the lion's den or not. Uh, that might not have quite looked the way Daniel thought it. Uh, God might have worked it out for him. Um, you know, in uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they were in a similar situation. And what did they say? Our God is able to save us, but even if he does not, we will continue to serve the Lord. We will not bow down to that golden statue. In the example of Stephen, he was doing exactly what Jesus had commanded the disciples to do, the apostles, to go into the world and teach the gospel. And um, what Betty said, you as well, Tim, is right. Uh, God does not see our time on this earth the way we do. And his, uh, <coughs> Daniel is safe from the lions and Stephen is killed. And they're both doing similar things. 
in their standing for the Lord. So uh, the Lord used Stephen uh, in a way that was different from Daniel, but he was he's used to glorify God as well. The, the scripture says the death of Stephen emboldened members of the church, the believers, to speak their faith as well instead of cower down they said look at the faith he had we're going we're going to be that kind of christian uh was the sentiment of that and so and both were saved daniel was saved in a physical way and stephen was saved in a supernatural way he went he went right on to paradise uh, i don't think anywhere in scripture is it said that jesus was standing watching the death of one of his children. Uh, he stood at the throne of God. So Stephen had the full attention of the Lord. Uh, but the Lord brought him into glory in a different way than he did Daniel. But he is there, as she said, he is there either way. That is the bottom line. And that's one of the points that I, I wanted to draw out tonight is absolutely God is going to take care of us, but that might not look exactly like what we think it ought to look like, uh, not the way we want it to look. look. Look at the 12 apostles. The, the finest guys that Christ could find. That's what happened to them. Uh, most of them were killed. Horribly. Horribly. That's right. Yeah. We just don't have the right perspective. I don't. You're right. You know, nowhere does God say that uh, does God promote the health and wealth gospel. Just follow me and life is going to be grand. Never promises that. But he does say it will be great. But in God's way. Daryl? I think the thing that impresses me most about this story is how King Darius changed. He went, he did not have any problem with them writing a law to worship him and pray to him, to fasting um, for Daniel um, and how much he loved Daniel, to writing a law that everyone in the world needs to worship God. I think that makes a, I mean, it's a huge, to me, that blows me away that this king who loved himself more than anybody changed like that. Yeah, so that's another one that I, I want to explore just a little bit is uh, <clears throat> I think King Darius trusted Daniel uh, to the same level that Nebuchadnezzar trusted Daniel. I think they had a very similar relationship um, because, uh, you know, first of all, he, he kept Daniel after, you know, the, the Medes took over. But, uh, and, and I think he really liked Daniel, really trusted him. But I think these guys came in and sold him uh, a bag of goods. And without thinking, he made this law. And so I think that's another lesson for us, too, is, you know, we need to think carefully uh, when we're making big decisions. Um, you know, and not do things lightly because they can have grave consequences that we might not recognize. I, I think 
that uh, as soon as Darius heard, well, it, it basically tells us, as soon as Darius heard what the implications were, he's like, oh my goodness, what have I done? And how can I get out of this? Which I also find interesting, by the way, that the guy that's at the very top of the food chain can't change the laws when he's the one that makes the laws, but whatever. Um, so he's looking for a way to save Daniel from the very beginning. I think he realizes his mistake. Um, real quick, um, you know, one of the things that I, I think we can learn from Jesus uh, is about how he handles big decisions. So if you, we don't have time to turn there tonight because we're, we're running out of time. Uh, but if you look at Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 6, three chapters in a row, we see uh, Jesus withdrawing from the crowds uh, to pray for extended periods of time. Um, one of them is uh, about, I've, I've been with the crowds all day, and you know what do you want me to do next? Um, one of them is... Um, He's appointing, about ready to appoint his apostles, and I'm drawing a blank on what the third one is. Uh, but all three of them are big decisions. Um, one of them, the biggest decision of his ministry, who his 12 apostles are going to be. Uh, and after all three of them, he comes out with clarity about what he needs to do. Um, and so if we take our guidance from that, then when we are faced with big decisions, uh, perhaps we need to spend some time uh, both in wise counsel and certainly with God, uh, looking, for, uh, looking for clarity there. And I, I think there's a, an implicit promise that, uh, that God's going to provide it if we take the time to, to ask him what he thinks. Uh, Eddie? I don't know if I'm getting ready to say what you were getting ready to say. <laughs> And, and so that was Daniel. I don't know if you're going there. Um, I, I think one verse about Daniel's life that stands out to me is, is verse 10 in his prayer life. What, what made him so likable and favorable and so effectively used by God? And scripture says that there's no one that God used in a greater way than Moses, and there was no one that knew God face to face like Moses did. And here's an example of someone that was used powerfully by God. He had a habit in verse 10 three times a day. And I loved his prayer posture. He opened the windows towards Jerusalem. He kneeled and, and he prayed. And what's, what's fascinating, in the midst of a, a, a negative circumstance where now he realized his life was threatened, he gave thanks. Um, that's a powerful model for prayer. So, similar to Jesus, it is this girl in the tail end of what you were saying. Yep, absolutely. Um, again, we're running out of time. I'd like to explore that a little bit farther, too. Uh, Alan, you had a comment? Well, I was just thinking about the thing that impressed me about Daniel so much was his integrity, because the king recognized it was going to make him head over all the other rulers. But if a politician can't find something bad to say about you, you must really be good. <laughs> because, I mean, even Jesus, they said, he said he could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. So so they're using that to accuse Jesus, and they didn't have that uh, to try to accuse Daniel. And anyway, in, in the end, he's 
they have to get him in regard to his integrity. So that so they tricked the king into making his ordinance <laughs> to make him go against the. Uh, and they used flattery to the king, which did. You can see all throughout the Old Testament, the kings would get flattered, and then everything went wrong. You know, because of the decision they made. And uh, and in this case, they flattered Darius, saying, "Have the whole world worship you." Isn't that going to be wonderful? And if they don't, we'll just, you know get rid of them. Sure, and there's a big difference in the flattery that those guys gave the king and the respect that Daniel gave the king, right? Um, Alan, I think that's a, a fantastic point, too, because I think that is a terrific example of exactly the type of, of purity, pure life that Jesus calls us to. You know, let them not be able to find fault with you um, you know, doesn't mean people aren't going to persecute you. We're, we're promised that people will persecute us for our faith. Uh, but, uh, you know, let them not find fault with you. And that's exactly the type of, uh, that's exactly the type of life that Daniel was living. And so, uh, these guys, well, the only way we can get him is to, uh, find some way to persecute him for his religion because he's different from us. Any others? What about the uh, collateral damage? He's going to kill all the wise men. Daniel saves them, but later here he'll, he kills the, throws the wives and the children in the uh, lines then with him. So it's it's hard to evaluating the king's respect. Uh, I thought that was interesting too. I mean. Can you imagine the wife you come home and you know, guess what? You know, <laughs> not only uh, not only did I make the king mad and uh, now he's going to kill me, but uh, he was really mad. He's going to kill you and the kids too. What were you thinking? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that was really well, a. <laughs> I think that's really a, a sign of the, the times, you know, um, and there's there's some deeper stuff uh, there, too. But that's one thing as a 21st century American that uh, I, I find difficult to swallow at times. All right. Um, so just to sum up here uh, tonight, uh, <clears throat> Daniel was an incredible uh, man of, of faith in God. Uh the, uh, the things that we talked about that uh, I think are important for us to model in our lives is, uh, you know, to be a likable person and to uh, to strive for, for wisdom, to ask God for wisdom and believe that he's going to give it to us because he can really do uh, great things uh, through us when we do have those, those qualities. Uh, also, it doesn't uh, doesn't mean that we're not going to be persecuted. Uh, things aren't always going to work out exactly like we thought or hoped, uh, but we do have the promise that God's going to take care of us. Um, next week, uh, I'll be back in front of you. I think, we're, if I remember correctly, we're talking about Gideon next week. So, uh, hope to see you all back next week. Hope you all have a great week. Thank you. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. 
Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.